Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where we always keep things cool. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven to eight and nine figures so that you create premium valuation impact and enjoy the freedom of running your business instead of your business running you. Well, March is apparently National Frozen Food Month. Who knew, right? This is a time to celebrate all things frozen and be real, who doesn't love a good freezer find, right? From microwavable meals to frozen vegetables and desserts, there's no denying that frozen food has definitely become a staple of modern convenience. But let's not forget why frozen food is such a big deal in our culture, because sometimes life just gets in the way of our best culinary intentions. Whether it's a busy work week, a hectic schedule, or just plain laziness, sometimes we just don't have the time or energy to cook a fresh meal from scratch. And that's where frozen food comes in. It saves us from the perils of hangry-induced decision-making. Of course, not all frozen food is created equal. We've all had those disappointing microwave meals at some point that promise gourmet flavor and deliver something that tastes more like, uh, uh, we'll say, cardboard. And then there are the truly bizarre frozen food inventions that I kind of appreciate, like frozen spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. I mean, who knew? Yes, it actually is a real thing. But, you know, despite its occasional missteps, frozen food has become a beloved part of our food culture with new and exciting innovations cropping up all the time from plant based meals to exotic flavor combinations, which didn't exist a few years ago. There's never been a better time to be a frozen food aficionado. And you can't overlook the joy of rediscovering some old favorites like ice cream sandwiches. I have one of those like once a year and it's like the first time again or frozen pizza. Lived on that in college. And that certainly brings back some memories. So take a moment to appreciate all the joys and conveniences of our modern world. A healthy hack we actually use here at my house when we cook meals is sometimes we'll just make double. We have one and the other goes in the freezer for later. Saves us from going out for the sake of convenience, skipping meals, or just plain making bad choices. And if you're feeling extra adventurous, you can experiment with your own frozen food creations. You know, who knows? Maybe you can just invent the next big thing in the world of frozen food to go right along with your SaaS solution. So just make sure you have a good microwave on hand to defrost the spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. Today's episode is sponsored by SaaS Open, where I guarantee they will not have frozen spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. It's got way better taste than that. What they will have is 1,000 SaaS leaders. Get an inside look at the future of software and spend time with the people who are making it happen. There will be five stages with valuable content delivered in short 20-minute segments. It is built for SaaS founders, CMOs, heads of products, sales, and engineering. You know, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So come do that with us March 16th and 17th in New York City. I'll be speaking at a couple of sessions there and would love to meet you. We're hosting a dinner get-together called We Love Bootstrappers while we're there at SAS Open. Join us for that as well. Love to connect. SAS Open, March 16th, 17th, New York City. Join us there. 
Well, our founder last Tuesday was Nathan Lotka, founder of FounderPath, a company that provides non-dilutive capital to SaaS founders like you. In the past 12 months, FounderPath has given 175 SaaS founders over $100 million in capital. Non-dilutive means that you don't give up any equity for that. It's a very cool concept. In our expert series last week, we had an enlightening conversation with Christopher Nelson, tech exec through two IPOs, investor and author of From No Dough to IPO. Christopher gave great insights on employees working for equity and how we founders can structure win-win deals to attract and motivate top talent. If you missed either one of those, go back and absolutely give them a listen. My guest this week is Sarah Noel Block. You know, sometimes marketing can sound like a foreign language, but Sarah is fluent and helps SaaS marketers turn babble into conversions. She is a marketing superstar, copywriter, and creator. Sarah rocks the world of inbound marketing with her company, Tiny Marketing. Like many small businesses, she was a marketing department of one, which is why it's Tiny Marketing, but it's never small in impact. She's here to share her best ideas to turn a small marketing department, even one, into a virtual army and a giant magnet bringing inbound leads constantly. Welcome the host of the Tiny Marketing Show and one of the most innovative marketers I know, Sarah Noel Block. Well, hey, Sarah, welcome to SAS Fuel. Thank you for having me. Well, tell us a, a little bit about how you got into marketing and where that came from in your background. How I got into marketing, I would say that started around birth. <laughs> I honestly remember wanting to get into marketing since I was in high school. That's awesome. You know how you do those tests and they're like, what career should you go into? I always got marketing. And I think it's because I was always really interested in, in writing and storytelling. And that's a huge part of marketing is understanding people and then being able to tell a story that really pulls them in and makes them understand your your value and how you can solve their problem. It's a full a full arc and so I went into marketing right away and then I got my masters in in writing and I focused on content marketing. That's great. Um, I've been doing it for 15 years now. <laughs> so how important is having a, a really compelling founder story? You know, I think that it's less important than people people emphasize your founder story so much. And there is an aspect to it that matters because it's it explains your why and why it is that you serve the people that you do. And I think that's important. But the thing that a lot of people miss in their founder story is keeping it really customer-centered. And you want it to be less about you and I story and more a you and how you inspired me to go into what I did. In, in my business, the customer, everybody wants to see themselves as the hero of the story. And the customer is included in that. They want to see themselves as the hero in your story. Right, right. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And even when we write like the about you section or about us section of uh, our yeah, website. Really yes, it is. It's about <laughs> you. Or it should be. That's a, right, because exactly. The, the, That's where so many people get that wrong is writing about the company and their personal mission statement. But unless that mission statement has to do with the customer, serving them, solving their problems, no one cares. And that's absolutely right. Nobody cares. 
Yeah, well, it's true. It's true. Unless it's about them, unless it affects their life and, and, and yeah. they see themselves in that story, then why would they care? You can't expect strangers to be invested in your story. <laughs> they're, they're looking for you because they need you to solve their problem. Right, right. So content marketing, is that something, is that a strategy that still works today? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> All marketing is content marketing. If you really think about it, all marketing is content marketing. It feeds everything. You're, it's important for you to build that like no trust factor with your customer. And you can only really do that by creating value and showing people that you know what you're doing so they can you know, trust that you can solve their problem. But it feeds like this podcast, yeah, right. <laughs> your blogs, YouTube channels, social media posts, your emails, your TikToks, all of it is content marketing. It really is. And what do you think about uh, content marketing for content versus SEO? How do you balance that? I think that they should be connected completely. That right now, I mean, we all talked about the Google algorithm change, that it's it's all about readability and what you're what Google searchers are finding valuable. And that is what's being ranked the highest. So your content needs to bring value to your, to your customer, but you also have to make it really easy for Google and your audience to find it. So make sure you're optimizing those headlines and the titles and all of that, but have value at the forefront of it. So they should be connected in every single piece, even show note pages on your podcast it needs to be connected. That makes a lot of sense. How does Google know if a page is valuable or content is valuable? Is it time on page? Or yes, I was just going to say dwell time matters a lot because it tells people, okay, they're hanging around there and they are they must find value in it because they're on that page for a long time. A low bounce rate helps, but it's less important now because a lot of times people are going to a blog post for a specific problem. They find the answer to that problem and then they leave. So bounce rate is a little bit less, but it still matters. Dwell time matters the most though. So if somebody goes and they, they read a post and they find the answer and then they leave, how do we get them to come back and, and engage more? How do we keep them invested in, in content and, and start to see us as a thought leader instead of just a one-time fix? Yeah, I would say making sure that you have that CTA in every single blog post and a clear what to do next, a clear action for that for that reader to do next. Um, I just released a, a course on this. It was a module of a course on this subject. So it's like top of mind right now. But having that hook at the very top of your piece of content and having the close where you're closed the loop between the hook and the and the conclusion and making sure that you give that reader an action to do next and that action should have something gated so you can grab that email and make sure that you can con keep connecting with them everyone has learned from the twitter debacle that you can't just rely on growing your audience on a social media platform and just pray that you're able to keep them right because I mean, we're just waiting for Twitter to implode right now. And there's tons of influencers on there that are going to lose their people. So whenever possible, make sure you have those gated CTAs in there so you can keep them and have that conversation via email or other platforms. 
That makes a lot of sense because in, in that way, then, then we really own the audience where if we're on the social media platform, it's really the social media platform that owns that audience. Yeah, you're renting it. Yeah, You're renting that audience while you're there. Yeah, it's kind of a scary place to be. Yeah, it's not great. I always recommend that my people have in their LinkedIn bio, have some sort of call to action, some sort of lead gen in there so you can grab as many of those people as possible. and hold on to them. Yeah. So what are some mistakes that you see in you know, companies making or, or people making when they're producing content and thinking that it's valuable? Well, never asking their audience is one of the big mistakes. It's never asking them what they actually want. It's easy to throw a poll on LinkedIn and ask them what it is that they care to learn. Or survey your audience once a year and ask them about the subjects that they care most about or their biggest problems, the biggest frictions that they're seeing in their jobs and using that to build out your content plan. Another issue I see is not planning ahead. I always like to plan my content on a quarterly basis so it can be repurposed correctly because you don't need to create a million different pieces of content. You can create one core piece of content and slice and dice it to feed your marketing for an entire quarter. And um, if you do quarterly planning, you could do that a lot more succinctly and save money, save tons of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so far, I think you've mentioned the, the P word four or five times, like content planning, that, that big P word plan. So apparently we should have a plan. Is that... Is that correct? <laughs> I didn't realize I was talking so much about planning. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a really important thing because, you know, most people just, especially in the the early things that, you know, they hear, I'm supposed to post online. So I'm just going to go stick a bunch of stuff out there and try and come up with new ideas. But it, there really is some method to the madness. So tell me about creating oh a content plan, why it's important and what should be in there. Yeah. So it will make your life so much easier. What I'll do with my clients is we sit down for maybe 30 minutes and talk about the big business goals they're planning, if they have any campaigns going on, and then we start spitballing, workshopping some content ideas. But all of them are connected to the business goals. And by the end of this conversation, we'll have the core pieces of content that we want to create that will feed those business goals. And while I am putting together the creative briefs, I'll put together the repurposing plan at the same time. So I was actually filming a solo podcast episode earlier today talking about this plan. So it's, it was not planned that we were going to talk <laughs> about this. But basically, I broke down how you could take one hour-long conversation. Let's say it's a video interview with a subject matter expert or an influencer and turn it into a minimum of 64 new content pieces that are um, on every platform. So you're on every platform. It's not net new content, but it's zero click content, which would live natively on those platforms and does so much better for the algorithm because no social media platform wants you to leave. So you don't need to spend a ton of time creating content. You, If you're planning it correctly, you could do it really easily, even with a tiny team. 
And that's really, really refreshing because I think it's it's a very daunting thing to look at. You know, there's so many platforms. I got to create all this stuff. And, and that is an episode we'll definitely link in the show notes. And so everybody listening to this, we'll, we'll definitely link over to that so you can go and actually hear how to create 64 pieces out of an interview just yeah, like this. So we could yeah. take this and we could turn it into 64 pieces of content. Yeah. And that was a minimum because I wasn't breaking. I was like, okay. Let's just take aside the fact that you can create about a bajillion uh, TikTok videos or real videos and square videos for LinkedIn that are 20 to 30 second clips from that hour. So there's so much you could do with it. It's it's releasing this Sunday, so I'll send you a link to it. But yeah, so many people are overwhelmed and burnt out from creating content and the constant feeling that they're not doing enough to serve their audience. But with the right plan, you can do it without feeling overwhelmed. So tell me about repurposing. Yeah. Is that, uh, you know, a lot of people may think that that's just like posting the same thing over and over again, but it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't post the same thing over and over again. Every platform's different. And you want to be able to, it is 64 net new pieces of content. You're just taking them, reformatting them for different platforms and finding the right way to tell those stories. Like within that interview, that 60 minute interview you're having with a subject matter expert, they're probably saying some brilliant stuff. You can just grab an audiogram from that and that's its own piece of content. You can take quotes from it and create like a long form pillar blog post um, using them as a subject matter expert. And not only are you getting all of that new content from it that really isn't at all the same from each other, but it's all from that core piece of content you're creating. You also get that extra juice because the subject matter influencer, whoever you choose to interview, they're going to be linking to it. They're going to be sharing the content that you've created with them because it spotlights them. It makes them look like an expert. So you could get, you can go even further with your repurposing plan if you're choosing to interview someone that might be an account you're trying to go after that you're trying to sell to, or they meet the customer avatar profile of someone that you typically sell to, because now every time they share it, it's getting in front of more people that are within your customer avatar. And you might not realize how much that impacts you, but there's so many lurkers out there who are seeing you and your content and then they reach out to you later and you have no idea how they were influenced to, to see that. And it was probably something like that. They're probably a silent observer. That seems to happen a lot. So even posting on, on social or LinkedIn or the podcast, you know, it, it's out there and sometimes it's you post and it's just crickets. But then you yeah. know, over time, somebody says, oh, I saw that post. They're like, well, you should have said something. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, comment, something, somebody let me know you're out there, you know? I know. I had a discovery call last week with someone, it was the same exact thing, where they saw like someone they follow liked one of my posts 
And so it got into their feed and they started following me. They've never communicated with me at all until they wanted a sales call, but they're just a silent observer. And just because no one's engaging with your content doesn't mean that they're not seeing it and they're not reacting to it internally. People just not, they don't always feel comfortable commenting. So is engagement a metric that we should pay attention to, or is it just a vanity metric that doesn't really matter? Engagement is, I would pay attention to it, but it's not an end all be all. Like it's nice, but most of the people who engage on my content are peers more than people that end up being customers. So I would say, yes, pay attention to it because it means that your content will get further because every time someone comments or likes, it ends up in their feed and then more people are seeing it. So it helps in that capacity, but it doesn't directly relate to sales. So how do we get people more engaged? How do we get those lurkers to, to comment, to like, to, uh, to you know, engage? The easier you make your social media posts to comment on, the better. So ask questions in there. Give them a direction on how they should engage with you. A lot of times I'll read a post. I'm like, that's pretty freaking smart. But they don't give me a trigger on how to engage. And then I'm like, but I don't really know what to say except that's smart. So I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) If you give them a question to respond to, you not only get more engagement, but you also give them an opportunity to spotlight their smarts. And it gives them more exposure too. So anytime that you can give someone an opportunity to look smart and be seen on your platform, it's a it's a win-win. I think that makes a lot of sense. I and mean, people are, are commenting not for your reasons, but for their own reasons. And so I think yeah. that's, you know, you give right. them the opportunity to, to look smart. <laughs> we were just talking about your story. Your founder story needs to be about the customer, make them the hero. And the same thing goes for social media. It's storytelling, but they need to be the hero and give them an opportunity to amplify their their reach. So are there other ways that we can add those triggers uh, besides questions? I mean, are there other ways that we can engage? On social media? Yes. Yeah, polls are an easy way. Even though people don't really comment too much on them, polls are really popular. Um, let's see. You could tag people that are really brilliant in the thing that you're talking about. Like, if you want to learn more about this topic, this person, this person, this person is brilliant and like their expertise, and they are definitely going to respond to that because everyone likes being spotlighted. So that's another way that you could trigger engagement and get in front of a, a larger audience. That's really smart. And when you do tag them, that shows up in front of their audience or when they comment, it does? When they comment, it does. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was pillar content. How do we determine what our pillars are? What What is pillar content and how do we determine what those pillars are? Yeah. So pillar content, I like to think of it like a Venn diagram. Um, if one half of one circle is your customer's problems and the other circle is the problems you solve, what meets in the middle, those should be your pillars. And I like to choose four. That's a good default is four pillars. From there, look up the keywords related to those. We'll bring this back to the SEO topic we were having earlier. Um, Look up the keywords that really matter for those pillars. And you'll want to create one 
let's say two to 3,000 word pillar content, like blog for each of those pillars. And those will rank. If you do it right, those will rank. Google loves long content. Make sure you have headers in there so it's broken up really easily and you'll end up in the SERPs. But from there, you'll want to break down like each of those sections into its own blog post and create other types of content within there that fall within that pillar. So your pillar would be the main topics. Like these are the four categories that I talk about and then have create your content within those categories. But if you're looking to rank, have those long pillar blog posts on there and try to get guest blog posts or get on podcasts where you're talking about topics within those pillars and make sure to link to those pillar posts within those guest blogs or send it as something to go with your show notes pages because then you get backlinks to them and that's how you rank for your pillars. Got it. And so how do we balance follow versus no follow links? Oh, that is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever, I mean, whenever you can get a follow link, that's better. Okay. No follow links are, I don't know. They're nice to have, but they don't give you as much oomph as a follow link. So, I mean, try and get as many follows as possible. (laughs) That makes sense because you definitely want them linking to those pages. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Sarah about how to differentiate in a crowded marketplace and really stand out so that your customers find you where you are after this. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a growth plan to scale your SaaS business beyond $10 million. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash your SaaS growth at championleadership.com. Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today is Sarah Noel Block, founder of Tiny Marketing. Hello. Sarah, tell me about how do you stand out in the marketplace? How do you differentiate your content from the other 20 million pieces of content that are created every week? Yeah, it's all about brand voice. When you're building your content strategy, which you should be doing that first. That is your foundation. Have a content strategy. And when you're doing that, you need to define your brand voice. And it would be basically the personality of your brand because likely there are a million people doing exactly what you do. (laughs) (laughs) It seems that way, right? Right, exactly. So when you're building out your brand voice, you'll want to look at things like, what is that one thing that I do differently? And it could be in your process. It could be who you serve. You could be differentiating yourself by your niche. I like to, like my personal content differentiator is teaching marketing, but through the lens of process. How can someone do this thing that I'm teaching them, even if it's just them, if they're just a solopreneur, or if they're part of a tiny team, they only have a one person marketing department, how can they do it? So I use that as my differentiator. That's my filter. Basically, it would be like a a content mission statement. The thing that makes you different. 
And then you want to build your brand voice. What are things that you would say and you wouldn't say in content? Make sure to write it down because eventually you might be outsourcing some of your content creation and you want it to be easy for someone else to be able to pick up your voice. And how easy is it to hand that off to somebody else to, to get an external team to, to write content and keep that consistent brand voice? I find it's pretty easy. It takes as long as you have it defined. If you have that defined content strategy, you can hand it off to a good writer and they'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly. It won't be perfect the first time. It won't. So don't expect perfection. It will probably take two to three pieces to really nail someone's voice perfectly. But, you know, as long as you're giving them direction on what they're missing and how to fix it, and they do it, you don't just do it for them. If they do it, then they'll pick up your voice. And it, I mean, that really doesn't take long as long as it's defined and you give them feedback. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I like that, you know, tiny marketing. Yeah, I love the the name. And that's really kind of, you know, your you know, target market is the, the solopreneurs or the marketing departments of one. Is it? Yeah, and that's the lens because... Well, I was a one-person marketing department for a long time. And I realized then that no one was no one cared about me. No one was there to serve me. And as much as I researched, how the hell do I do this when it's just me and in my own experience, it was seven companies within a group and I was marketing for all seven. Oh wow. They all had their own presidents. They had their own org charts. And I was overwhelmed. So I built systems to make it work. And those are the systems that I use for my business and that I help people because you need someone too. <laughs> Even the <laughs> tiny team needs someone. Yes. Well, in that supporting seven companies, you weren't just a one-person marketing department. You're like a one-person agency. Yeah. Yeah. So it made it a lot easier when I did build an agency because I had that foundation and that experience right. doing that to be able to make it work. So as a, a one-person marketing department, what are things that are, are really important that uh, you know, somebody should know and absolutely make sure that they do versus maybe some other things that aren't as important? Yeah, do what will go further. You need to always show up for your audience and you need to be consistent. That's why, I mean, I created that core method for content marketing then when I was a one-person marketing department. So I would create one core piece of content for each of those companies and repurpose it. And I was able to bring in freelancers and people to help me to slice and dice it to be able to show up everywhere. And because I had that content strategy defined and written out, they were able to just take it and run with it and make it easier for me. So having that so you can show up consistently for everyone is important. That's like the foundation. And then once you have it systemized and a good process in place, you can start taking on those extra projects because there's bound to be some like sales raising their hand that they need something or a president saying, I saw this thing and I want to try it. Right. So you'll have time to be able to do those things once you have your foundation in place. So if somebody is setting up a, a quarterly marketing plan, and I know you said earlier, you know, quarterly is is a good way to think about that. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some steps that they can take 
you know, it's maybe steps one, two, three, four to, to do that if this is the first time and really formalizing that uh, content plan for the quarter. Yeah. The first thing you want to do is look at the business goals for that quarter. What is it that they're aiming to do? Is there a certain service or product that they're targeting that quarter? Are there accounts that they're targeting that quarter? If they do like an ABM approach to marketing, look at those things first. Look at what resources you have available. What can you do first with the resources you already have? And then start workshopping what content would make sense to fill in those gaps. Like these are your goals. This this content is what will work for it. And then pick a couple things as your core content and then figure out your repurposing plan from there. So that's the order I would do it in. I like that. Well, what is one thing that uh, you could leave the audience with uh, about marketing and uh, and you know, how to market as, as we're going into maybe a crazy economic time that, uh, that would be effective? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, 2023, I've talked to a lot of people and their budgets are being slashed. Yeah. So look deep at your analytics. What is resonating with your audience and replicate it? You don't need to test new things. You don't need to do everything when your budget's being slashed. Look at what's working, replicate it, and then repurpose it so it will go further. That would be my advice. I like that. You have to be scrappy. That's, you do. Yes. I am the queen of scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> no budgets ever. <laughs> and I think that's that's true a lot with uh, even in the, the SaaS world in the earlier days is that the marketing budgets are, are limited and you really do have to be scrappy, have to be creative. Yeah, yeah. I have, in my experience, I've seen marketing is the last thing to be hired. So they're definitely being scrappy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Really have appreciated our conversation today. Thanks, I had fun. Well, thanks again to Sarah for coming on the show and sharing your insights and experience. You can learn more about Sarah at sarahnoelblock.com and definitely go follow her on LinkedIn. She posts a lot of great marketing insights and some pretty funny things as well. I really like reading your stuff. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. Please subscribe and follow us there. Everyone who subscribes this week will receive a virtual high five from me and the entire team here at SAS Fuel. If you want one in person, join me next week at SAS Open. I really do hope to see you there. Say hello and join us for our We Love Bootstrappers dinner. Join us next week for a conversation with Steve Benson, CEO and founder of Badger Maps. It's the number one app in the app store for outside salespeople with mapping, routing, and scheduling. It's another great solution that adds so much value to so many. And Thursday will be in New York City at SAS Open. Our guest will be John Dougherty, founder and CEO of two productized services, Credo and Editor Ninja. Both of them serve the digital industry. It's a great example of product extension and expansion. And we'll talk to him about that. So I can't wait. We'll see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. 
we'll be sure to read these out on future 